You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to point a, uh, you to a couple things uh, relevant for the day. Uh, if you came in, you saw a bunch of stuff going on in the city that you're like, what is happening here? Uh, that's Operation Stuff still going on. Really good time. Really sweet thing to be a part of in this city. I'm going to just see a lot of people and some fun stuff, food trucks and all that stuff. And the second thing, just real quick, is uh, you'll hear a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but next week we're not gathering like this. Uh, we're celebrating 10 years as the Village Church. And so uh, lots of festivities and stuff going on in the parking lot and all that stuff. And again, you'll hear more of the details in a few minutes, but, but we in, encourage time in some different ways. And we encourage you to just come here and spend time celebrating God's grace to the Village Church for the last decade. Uh, would you pray with me and then we'll jump in here. Father, thanks for your grace and your kindness to us uh, individually, to us collectively, that we get to sing to you and about you. And, and today, we get to talk about you as holy. And there's no words that I could say that would do that justice. But would you, by your Spirit, through your Word, make much of you that you might be honored, that we might recognize you as being set apart from sin in, in every way, and that you invite us to live set apart from, from our sin and for your honor, just the same. Would you let us see you, meet you, know you, trust you today? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've ever found yourself uh, just kind of flipping through the channels on Thanksgiving Day after you've run the Young Lives 5K, um, which you can do that this year, uh, if you ever find yourself doing that, um, you'll find the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And that's like in the city, uh, New York, big balloons and floats and all kinds of cool stuff. But then just after that, you'll find something else every single year. And for some of you, you're like, I know what it is. I love that. And some of you are like, please tell me what it is, all right? So this is what it is. Featuring over 3,000 dogs in 150 different breeds, the National Dog Show has become a part of Thanksgiving Day Tradition. This year, 50 of the top contenders will be spotlighted on NBC on Thursday, November 28, 2019 at noon in all time zones following the 2009 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade broadcast. I was not paid to say that, all right? And you may know me, I, I don't necessarily love dogs, but there's some specific stuff uh, about that. What they do is they emphasize many things in the dog show, and there are some things in there that are cool, but one of the most critical requirements for these animals to be in the show is that they are bred pure, right? And not only them, but they, that they come from a long lineage of pure breeding. But here's the thing, that idea is not just in, in the dog show world, but we literally 
uh, I would say as Americans, maybe humans, we thirst for purity. And so we think about that in our, our drinking water. And we buy bottles of water. I know not everybody buys bottles of water, all right? But you buy filters for your water, all right? And you're very particular about those things. And, and when you buy gold, what we want to know is like how pure is the gold and, and, and you know, how many carat is it and, and, and all those things. And what that's describing is how many impurities are in there. And I want it to be, want it to be pure or, or when we buy uh, diamonds in the same way or, or when we... When we buy air filters for everything under the sun because we can't be breathing in things that are not pure. Entire civilizations have been wiped out off the face of the earth in the name of purity. In the Old Testament, we see uh, this kind of dichotomy and uh, the time that followed the Old Testament for, for clean and unclean. And we see things that, that, that mark the dividing line of interaction among things and even people. Like, I can't interact with you because you're clean or because you're unclean or, or whatever. And our culture is, is fixated on this perceived purity. And I think about things like the five-second rule. I don't think this is a thing of ancient times. Like, you drop a cracker on the floor and you're like, uh, you know, like, it was five seconds. It wasn't contaminated. I won't blow up if I eat it. Or, or the idea that we just want everything to be clean, and so we sanitize and we spray stuff. Look up, you do you, all right? You be as clean as you want to be. What I'm saying is, is that's not been the case for the duration of humanity. We are fixated on things being pure, on things being clean in a way that no other civilization on the face of the earth has been. And yet, when it comes to matters of the heart, creation and design, God and His standard for purity, God and His standard for holiness, um, we have little concern. And Jesus said it this way. There were these people who were really fixated on, on external purity, they were called the Pharisees. And so when you read the New Testament, you read about the Pharisees, they were very religious people that tried to get it right by doing everything on the outside, but their hearts were, were broken. This is what Jesus said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And so literally, they, they, they were fixated on doing dishes, right? But what he's saying is, is you're missing the point because when you look at yourself, you're so worried about what everyone thinks on the outside and you, and you are wicked on the inside. And he, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said you look beautiful on the outside and, and inside of you is the stench of death. But you're not worried about that. So we, we, we so easily disregard God's demand for holiness in our lives because we so easily disregard God as holy. God is set apart from sin for His honor. And He sets us apart from and for the same. And this is the big idea. God is set apart from sin for His honor. And He sets us apart from sin and for His honor just the same. So today, we embark, as Joe said a few minutes ago, on a, on a 10-week journey, walking through a, a thematic sermon series called, He Is, We Are, reflecting the attributes of God. 
And the goal in this, uh, as we typically walk through books of the Bible, I, I prefer to hang out in books of the Bible, right? That makes me feel more comfortable. I know what's coming up as a preacher next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. And this is like a little bit different, all right? And so I, I plead for grace as we figure out how this thing kind of flows out. And Pastor Matt has to, has to preach next time, so begin praying for him now, right? He's scared. I, I can see he's nervous, right? Um, and so I, I am too. And so... Um, not for him, for me. Come on. So, so the idea of this is that we want to understand who God is. That's pretty important. We want to understand who God is. We want to, to increase our understanding of, of the knowledge of God, uh, of, of who he is. Some theological foundations that, that we carry into our lives as we walk in him. But we also want to let that shape how we live in, in the lives that, that we practice. And so any solid, systematic theology book will talk about uh, the attributes of God. And I just want to point out something, all right? Richard was making some wise comments earlier about, I'm, I'm showing you this just to demonstrate how smart I am as if I've read all of these from cover to cover. Here's what I want you to know, that, that God is knowable. But we don't just stumble into the vastness of how great God is by, by scrolling through a, a news feed. And so this is a, a few of, of many huge books, right? And, and I don't think I've read all of these cover to cover. But, but what I will say is as we try to, to preach theologically consistent, true rooted in Scripture from cover to cover sermons, and as we try to apply Scripture in our life and we try to figure out, then, then what I want you to know is that there are people that, that understand cultural nuances of, of Old Testament and New Testament and in particular letters of the Bible, and we get to lean into those so that we might know the fullness of God. And, and those people are, are poor mediators, all right? There's, there's no replacement for, for walking through this book, but they help us understand it, all right? They help me understand it so that I might declare it uh, properly and, and, and rightly. And so any good systematic theology book is going to talk about the attributes of God. And, and there's two categories that I want you to be mindful of. This is getting a little nerdy for a second, all right? The communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes. This series is looking at the first category, the communicable attributes, all right? He is, we are, reflecting the attributes of God. And these attributes, these characteristics, these traits of God are ones that he demonstrates that we also get to demonstrate. And so we look at, at holiness today, and we look at goodness in us imperfectly, and then next year in 2020, we're going to do a, a series on the incommunicable attributes, which might be a little tougher in terms of application because we're going to look at the ways that God is not like us, all right? That, that he is omniscient, all right? That he's all-knowing, that, that he's everywhere. And, and the application for that from a preacher is not, so go be omniscient, all right? You can't do that. And so, so as we discover who God is, we get to discover who we are in light of him. And so that's where this series finds us. And there were some subcategories, and, and I, I shot out something on Realm this week uh, about this series with a series set up. And so if you're not on Realm, get on Realm. We can uh, fill out a connect card, and we can get you on there. But um, if you are, check that out and just read the series set up. There's a ton of resources to help us out, which, which reminds me, today I'm just reading a bunch of quotes from a lot of smarter people than I am to try to understand the holiness of God. And, and one of them is, is from a guy named A.W. Tozer, and he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
right? When I say God, everybody thinks of something different. And it might be consistent with the scriptures, but, but whatever outlet you think of, if you think of him as this domineering king and ruler that's going to change the way that you live, if you think of him as, as love and, and only love no matter what, and he's for you no matter what you live your life like, or, or if you think of him in any other way, it shapes the way that you live. And so what comes to our minds when we think of, about God is the most important thing um, about us. Jen Wilkin in her book, Who is God?, she explores these attributes, and, and this is what she says, all right? She says, our inclination is to dis- discern God's will by asking, what should I do? That's fear. Many of us have started that way. Like, uh, uh, I, I'm walking into a relationship with God, and I ask the question, what is it that I should do with who we are, and only secondarily with what we do? By changing the question and asking, who should I be, we see that God's will is not concealed from us in his word, but is pl- plainly answers the question, who should I be, with be like Jesus Christ, who perfectly images God in human form. God's will for our lives is that we conform to the image of Christ, whose incarnation shows us humanity perfectly conformed to, to the image of God. In her book, she says, we will consider how we demonstrate a resemblance to our maker. Here's the thing. But since the Bible's answer to who should I be is be like the very image of God, then we must ask, who is God? That's what we're doing. Who is God? All right, and we could talk about it until uh, eternity ends. But today we're talking about God's holiness. All right, Uh, Kind of definition-wise, God's holiness sets him apart. He is separated from sin, and he is devoted to seeking his own honor. So what is holiness? It means means God is separated from sin and, and devoted to his own honor. And so we see a relational aspect of that. He's separated from something or or something, sin, and and we see the moral aspect. Uh, that, that, it, that he is about his own honor, all right? And so we're looking at a text today in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're starting in verse 13. And, and what we see in context as we're not walking through this for the next, uh, you know, 10 weeks. But this text in particular helps us see the holiness of God today. And so here's what's going on when Peter's writing this letter. He's writing to people, the church in exile, Right? They, they are sent out from their homeland, and, and they are around difficult, persecuted, and it's really difficult. And so the encouragement is, is hang on. Right? You, you can hang on, and you can continue to be God's people, even though everyone around you says live another way. All right? And in that, gosh, surely we can relate a bit. And so we're just going to read the first couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. This helps set up what we want to do today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy 
for I am holy. So I can say to you, well, let's just go and do that. But the reality is, this is a crippling and, and despairing command. Go be holy because that's what God is. So let us just go do that. Martin Luther, the great reformer and, and, and priest of the 1500s and, and all kinds of other things, he, he studied God and it led him to hate God because of this very truth, because of the demand for holiness and what he felt was, what God expects of me is unattainable. And I'm a man who, who wants to go after and, and get what, what, what uh, I'm, I'm seeking after. And when I see God and I see His holiness and I see me, this is impossible. And he says, and so I hated God for it. And that strongly, maybe you would say, I look at the Bible. I look at people around me by comparison. I look at the church. I, I, I hear people preach and I hear people talk to me about what it looks like to obey God. And the reality is, there's no Or maybe you, you too heavily emphasize the command over the reason. See, this is a quote from the Old Testament. Be holy for I am holy. And God says that many times. And, and, and you, being driven by the law, say, be holy. And you just disregard the fact that, that God is holy. And you say, you know, hold my drink. Let me go be holy. And so, so some of us look at this arrogantly and we say, okay, I can do that. Watch me. What are the rules? What are all the rules? Give me the rules and I'll obey them. And some of you, the craziest things, some of you are really good at, at keeping all the rules. And some of you couldn't care any less about the rules. And you just write your own. And so, so all this takes us to the first point, And that's this, God is holy. And you may ask, well, well what does that mean? And, and if it's true what they say, that repetition is the mother of learning, then God tells us a ton about himself and about, about what it means that he is holy. And, and there's a guy named A.W. Pink, and, and I want to read what he says. He quotes some scripture, and, and he helps us understand what this means that God is holy. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy. Revelation 15. He only is independently, infinitely, unchanging and holy. In Scripture, He is frequently styled the Holy One. He is so because, check this out, the sum of all moral excellency is found in Him. He is absolute purity, unsullied even by the shadow of sin. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, says 1 John 1.5. Power is God's hand or arm. Omniscience, His eye. Mercy, His organs. Eternity, His duration. But holiness, that is His beauty. Holy is the greatest title of honor. This perfection, as none other, is celebrated before the throne of heaven the seraphim, the, the, the holy angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. A.W. Pink, the attributes of God. Another says it this way. Uh, Pastor John Piper, 
was talking to his wife. And, and why is gold the standard? Well, why is gold the standard? Because it's rare. She said, well, well fish are rare as well. There are certain fish that are they're so rare that, that they have uh, man, a, a high value. And, and then she says, but, but here's the thing, fish rot. Gold doesn't rot. Gold lasts, which is true. And so, so he sums this conversation up, and he says, and, and, and gold is also accessible, not like some fish that will rot. And so it's rare, it lasts forever, and it's accessible. And so he says, so you've got rare, you've got permanence, you've got accessibility. And the uniqueness of God is all of that. He's the rarest of all beings. He has absolute permanence. And in Jesus Christ, he's made himself accessible. Therefore, I draw this as my concluding definition. If you will allow me a definition of the undefinable. God is infinitely valuable. His holiness is this. Infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible. Now, if you feel like your head's about to explode and you're like, wow, this is a lot. Is this what we're in for? I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but, but these guys, um, they do these videos called The Bible Project. And if you like, check them out, because they make these really complex things, theological truths, really simple. And they give book summaries of the Bible, all right? And they talk about holiness like this. They, they make the analogy between God and the Son, all right? And, and they take it way further than I will here, but, but basically they say, without the Son, there is no life at all. But, but get too close to it, or, or underestimate it, and it will kill you. When we add all this up, we consider God relating to his people. Sure, he is called holy, but he really is separate. All right? And I want to read one last 90 minute quote to you. The idea of holiness as including both separation from evil and devotion to God's own glory is found all over the place in the Old Testament. The word holy is used to describe both parts of the tabernacle, for example. The tabernacle itself was a place separate from evil and sin of the world. And the first room in it was called the holy place. It was dedicated to God's service, but then God commanded that there be a veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, was the place most separated from evil and sin and most fully devoted to God's service. See, when we begin to see God for who He really is, holy and set apart from sin for His honor, then it floods into our lives. It changes how we think of Him and it changes how we feel about Him and it changes how we live. Right? And this leads us to the second thing. Humanity is sinful. And that's a problem. Not only is it a problem, it is the biggest problem. 
by far it's the greatest problem that humanity has ever faced. It's not climate change, and it's not uh, all the plastic on the earth. Those things, we can engage those things however you would like, okay? But, but our biggest problem is, is that humanity is sinful. And one said, if God is not holy, then sin is not a big deal. So for us to understand that God is holy, it is a big deal, all right? Adam and Eve, in the beginning of this book, were duped by a serpent. And everyone who's come through the lineage of Adam and Eve, and by the way, that's everyone who's ever been, we are born under Adam. We're born in the the flesh of Adam. We're born in the sin of Adam. And the result is that our flesh mimics the voice of the serpent. It's that our ears respond well. We perceive the voice of the serpent as good So we, too, get duped like Adam and Eve. Our flesh in Adam is very sneaky, and it's easily manipulated, and it plays on what we desire, what we think is best, and what we think is best is our own honor. That's a problem. So we have two strategies for rebellion that help us achieve this goal of our own honor. The first one is that that we minimize God's holiness. Have you ever done that? You begin to say things like, ah, like, 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 is God really that way? Do I really know that that's true? We, we, we take all of that stuff that I just read and those long quotes and, and all those things and we just, we chuck it and we make God in our image. It's what the Bible tells us that we do. The second thing is is we inflate our own holiness. So God is here and and we're here and and what we do is we either either lasso him and bring him down to us or we build a ladder and we climb up to him and we say, there, we did it. You're holy, I'm holy, let me into heaven. Give me all the good things that you have for me. Both of those opportunities are, are just lies, right? God is so, can you lasso the sun? That's my question. We cannot bring God down to us, and we cannot reach him on our own terms. Man is sinful, and if God is not holy, then sin is not a big deal. But remember, holiness is being separate from sin and for God's honor, and God is holy, and so sin is a big deal. So let's look at, uh, we read on in, in 1 Peter, and we just pick up in 17 and just read a couple verses. And if you call on him as father, each one's deeds I'm sorry. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. All right? So, so it says, and if you call on, on your father who judges, right? He's not only father, but he's judge. He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. That means that there's some account for our obedience. 
He says, conduct yourselves with fear. That is some healthy reverence. Uh, we've been going through Proverbs together, uh, my, my son and I, and, and we, we, we look at this idea that, that fearing God is the beginning of, of all wisdom and, and all this. And, and so we try to define it, and we're like, what does that mean? And we said it's, it's humble submission to God being God. Like, what is it to fear God? It's, it's, it's humbly submitting to the idea that, that God is God. And if that's true, then, then one, it, it forces me to be humble because I'm not God. I'm never going to be like Him. All right? I'm never going to be uh, so far and away like He is. And so I get to submit to that with fear throughout the time of our exile. And then He says, knowing that you were ransomed. Right? You were exchanged for something from what? From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And so what we begin to see in this text is that really it's a word of, of contrast. It's contrasting the darkness of the world around with the light that, that God is through his people. In particular, it's the contrast between God's holiness and the nature of this life, ourselves included. There's a song that starts like this. It says, we come from a long line of leavers. Out of the garden gate with an apple in our hand. Right? And, and all that's doing is it's pointing to this exact truth that we've inherited futile ways from our forefathers. That since the very beginning, we've been, been walking in rebellion against God. So we hold this unattainable tension as the point where God meets man. We find ourselves impossibly hopeless to meet God. Now, my prayer is that the sermon audio doesn't stop recording at that point, all right? And that, that, that that's where we end, or that, that you leave at this point. Oh, that's it. We can't meet God. But what I do want us to see is, is do you ever let yourself sit in that? Do you ever let yourself just sit in that? Do you acknowledge God as holy and yourself as sinful? Like, like we so easily just apply grace and move on with our day. Or, or maybe we don't know grace and we walk carrying guilt and shame and despair. It is healthy for us to look in the mirror and say, I'm not God. And left to my own self, I will never meet Him. Do you conduct yourself with fear while you wait in exile in the darkness around us? Do you acknowledge? Because it is good to know where we come from. See, this is the heart of, of Martin Luther's tension. This, this is it. God is perfect. He demands perfection. He judges the wicked. He tolerates no sin. Against Him, none can stand. In Him is no spot or blemish. Then how can we ever please Him? And we so quickly lean into grace and, and rightfully 
But we can't embrace grace if we don't understand the height of God's holiness and if we're not brought to bear the depth of our rebellion and sinfulness and separation. So we read in this text that we were ransomed from the futile ways. But who or what were we ransomed by? And what are we ransomed to? And that leads us to the third thing. That Christ is sufficient. That God is holy. Humanity is sinful. And Christ is sufficient. And if you've been around the, the village any period of time over the last decade, you've probably heard us say this a thousand times. Right? But it, it, it doesn't lose its luster when we understand the words behind these truths, when, when I share the gospel with somebody, or when I share the gospel with myself, right? In, in many times, in many ways, I get back to this point that God is holy. You can't reach Him. You can't pull Him down to you. And you are sinful, Michael. You are sinful. There's no way that you can do enough to reach Him. But Christ is sufficient. And that is good news. If it's true... That, that God's holiness is His infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that He is who gave, uh, uh, who by grace made Himself accessible, then we get to read the rest of this and we get to have an, have an understanding of what it, what it means that we were ransomed to and what it means that we were ransomed by. And so let's read on in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like the lamb without blemish or spot. Right? And when we read about the lamb, it doesn't make any sense. And we're like, what on earth? But when we put that in context of the Old Testament and what I read earlier about the temple and in, in the holy place, the priest would sacrifice the, the lamb the perfect lamb, and he would shed the blood of the lamb, and he would call it the sins of, of Israel so that they might be temporarily atoned for. And so this permanent sacrifice, not temporarily, but once and for all, forever, atones for our sin. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That was always the plan to rescue us. This Jesus was always the plan to rescue you from the sin that you commit today that sets you apart from God and His holiness. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope they're not in you. They're not in God being soft. They are in God by the finished work of Jesus. It is by grace. And we, we go back to the beginning of this, that, that, that the, the never-perishing precious blood attested of from the beginning uh, of this book, the blood 
uh, of animals slain in the Old Testament, the ram caught in the thicket of Abraham, the blood of, of Passover in Exodus, the blood of the temple sacrifices in Leviticus, and on and on and on. All of this is man unable to meet God, but God being able to meet us, who is the segue for the holiness of God to dwell with men. God's holiness is manifested at the cross wondrously and solemnly does the atonement display God's infinite holiness. The fact that He hates sin and how hateful must sin be to God for Him to punish to its utmost when His sin or when our sin was given to His Son. See, in Jesus, He gives us what we can't give ourselves. He frees us from our sin. He sets us apart from it and for God's honor. So here's the thing. I remember we had a, a baptism last year, and, and one of the people who were being baptized, as we were recording their testimony video, we asked him, what, um, how did Jesus come into your life, right? How did you become aware? At what point did you say, you know what, I I want to join his story? And he said, I decided to follow Jesus when I realized that Jesus didn't just die for sin. He died for my sin, right? And that's a big shift when we say Jesus died for the sin of mankind, you know, it's a big shift because what we get to do in that is we get, to, we get to separate ourselves from the sin of mankind. And we get to say, he died for our forefathers who walked in the ways of Adam. But when I say that Jesus died for my sin, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my condition. I acknowledge my need for rescue. I acknowledge that God is not like me and he's so far away, dangerous and holy, set apart from sin in every single way and set apart for his honor in me set apart from him by my sin for my own honor unless I come to these terms that Jesus didn't die for sin he died for my sin we get to acknowledge that today so what if we miss all this there's two questions that we want to ask in in all this every single week what if we miss it If we miss it, then we miss God. If we don't see God as holy, then we miss Him entirely. We we remake Him into something lesser. We bring Him down. We elevate self, ourself. And you know what it does? It leads us to death. But if we get it right, then we are thrown to the only thing that gives life. And that's grace through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus applied to us, not by the work of our hands, but by the work of his hands, if we might just believe that when he was on the cross, he knew our sin and he bore it, and it was our sin that led to his death so that we might be made righteous. And just shortly after that, you know what happened? The veil that, that we read about that separated God's most holy place from, from humanity around that, the veil was torn and the Spirit of God 
was, was opened up. And this holy God who lives separate in a temple in a place where, where only a, a few priests a year could go in. And when they did, they tied a rope around their legs so that if they walked through the curtain and they weren't pure and they fell over dead, they could pull them out with a rope. That veil was torn. And that same God that lived inside that holy place dwells inside of you. If you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. What that means is, is that then we get to live holy lives. And, and we'll take the next week figuring out what that looks like. But how about we start with this? Or the, we'll take the next 10 weeks figuring out what that looks like. But how about we start with this? That we're separate from sin and we live for God's honor. That's what we get to do. And we trust this finished work of Jesus. God is set apart from sin for his honor. And he sets us apart from and for the same. So we get to respond. We get to pray. You can do that right where you are. You can go to that prayer bench over there by yourself. You can go back that way or over there. And there are some people that would love to pray with you. Um, We get to to humbly submit to God and we get to give him our life. We get to join because he cares for us. The second thing we can do is we get to contribute. All right? We get to, to, to connect with this family and we get to be known by others and, and know others and we get to serve and we get to give and do all the things that, that it looks like to be God's church. And if there's any way we can help you with any of those things, fill out a connect card. We would love to follow up with you. And, and lastly, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate this finished work of Jesus and we do that by remembering his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled and we do that by taking communion. This is for those who are in Christ, who have trusted him, right? And and if that's not you, then we would love to chat with you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your goodness today in particular. Just looking at who you are and how separate you are from us and by Jesus how you made yourself known, and not only known, but accessible. Would you stir our hearts to see you as you are, not to minimize you, to see ourselves as we are, not to minimize our, our sin. And would you let us point that to the only thing that gives us life, faith and confidence in the finished work of Jesus, and by that you dwell in us and by that we stand before you and by that we can live free from our sin and by that we can live free to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.